Hello, and welcome back to the Sustainable Brown Girl podcast. This show exists to provide representation for women of color in the environmental space, to highlight their stories, and to educate the masses about how to be more eco-friendly every day. From gardening to thrifting, minimalism to veganism, sustainable business owners to influencers, environmentalists to activists, we are all on a journey to taking better care of our bodies and our planet. I'm your host, Ariel Green. Today's episode is sponsored by Etik, plastic-free hair and beauty bars. More about Etik later. As people who are conscious about how the choices we make impact the planet, we're probably also conscious about the brands we support and buy from. It can be difficult to know who's the real deal and who's not, which is why businesses like Sancho Shop exist. Today, we're chatting with the Ethiopian woman who founded the UK-based shop that curates the best sustainable fashion brands under one roof. But before we get too deep into that, I want to remind you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super easy to do on any Apple device. Just search for Sustainable Brown Girl Podcast and be sure to follow if you aren't already. Then scroll down to the review area and I'm sure you want to leave a five-star review. So go ahead and do it. It really helps us with getting more people to discover the show. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and I will feature it in an upcoming episode. If you're not already, be sure to follow Sustainable Brown Girl on Instagram and use the hashtag Sustainable Brown Girl to be featured on the page. I love seeing what everyone's up to, their sustainable swaps, their outfit inspo. So I love sharing that on Instagram. Also, if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider becoming a Sustainable Brown Girl patron on Patreon. It really helps to keep the show going on a consistent basis, and you'll get access to some exclusive content. A link to the Patreon page is in the show notes. As always, your support is greatly appreciated. Today's featured Sustainable Brown Girl is Cal Kadan Lejess the owner of Sancho's, a sustainable fashion and ethical gift department shop based in the UK. Sancho's mission is to make it easy for shoppers to prioritize people and the planet by curating the best sustainable fashion brands and putting them under one roof. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cal Kadan. Thanks so much for having me, Ariel. <laughs> yes. So let's start at the beginning. Let us know how you became interested in sustainability. I think I was always interested in sustainability um, from the kind of perspective of like ethics and justice. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I'm, I'm 29. I think by the time this comes out, I'm going to be 30. So I think I'm Ooh. kind of within an age range where conversations around climate change and ethics and development and poverty and equality were quite um like fed into just early stage education um and then in addition to that I think my parents are very like righteous people like for the positive and negative of that so I think I've just always been (laughs) interested in ethics yeah, definitely. So then how did that translate into becoming interested in fashion and sustainable fashion? So fashion wasn't something that I identified with 
earlier on in my life. Um, but basically, uh, as part of my university degree, I spent about a year working for NGOs um, across the world. And, um, and I did that because I thought I would work in sustainable development or mm-hmm. development economics. Um, and then in my free time, I would kind of shop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I, was, I was working in Ethiopia um, for a couple of months. And um, I ended up shopping from markets where, like, just behind them, uh, the clothing, the clothes is being made. So you'd have, like, a shop seller, and just behind that you'd have, like, a seamster, and just behind that you'd have a weaver, and just behind that you'd have, uh, like, a spinner or an embroiderer. And, you know, the entire industry was um, literally in kind of, in the scope of, like, 50 metres. It was so um, condensed. And that's when I first kind of, began to understand how powerful the tool fashion is for employment um and how like how you know just how exciting and creative the kind of fashion industry can be um and that's when I really got interested in in fashion I think yes wow that must be really interesting how long were you in Ethiopia and like did that really I mean it sounds like it really impacted your interest in sustainability Fashion. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was there for about seven months. I mean, okay, so I'm I'm Ethiopian. I was born in Ethiopia. I lived in Ethiopia okay. until I was five. Um, have spent many kind of summers in Ethiopia, and that was just kind of a period of kind of a working slot of about seven months. Um, um, yeah, and absolutely, it changed. I think the course of my career, um, and you know how I spent my time and energy, for sure, had <laughs> a really big mm-hmm. influence on my life. Um, I think that sometimes we take for granted the kind of the things that will influence years and years and years and years and years of your life in the moment. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, that those weeks, particularly just one event when I was shopping for a, um, I was shopping for a wedding dress cause I was a guest at a wedding and, um, I was going into markets that weren't set up in the way that I've just described. So they were just sellers who were selling at a different part of the capital city. Um, and I bought a dress that I thought was like a really great deal and a really great dress. And I went and showed my grandma and she was like, Calcadan, you've like, you've overpaid for this three times and it's dirty oh, no. and it's horrible. <laughs> I felt so embarrassed. Um, and um and yeah that like really kicked off my like curiosity as to like how and why that happens and yeah right I think that's a particularly significant effect event for me yeah absolutely oh my gosh so did you go back to a different store and get like a handmade dress so um no I wore that dress to the to the wedding (laughs) (laughs) um but I've always felt like um uh, since then, I've always felt, I guess, like I've needed to become a better buyer, you know? Mm, yeah. You know? Because yeah. Yeah, it can have an impact, exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, that's a fun story. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, what led you to start Sancho's? You know, like what was the what was the path to that? Um, so, so what I began to realise, so when I was working for NGOs, the, you know, NGOs are set up to, you know, bring about development, right? So to support mm-hmm. people, provide aid, um, and ideally to create um, independent individuals who have more resiliency. 
um I, I just happened to be working with some like key directors across like four organizations so like world vision save the children um and others and um it just became really like evident and clear that there was this huge gap between you know what people needed what was being provided to them and also projects that uh like foreign uh, countries would fund or foreign individuals would fund and mm-hmm. I think that was just like you know we could go into this a lot um the book like aid by Naomi Klein I think is a really great like, resource for understanding that industry but essentially it's an industry that has a lot of resources but no real systems of accountability and so the people who are like supposed to be benefiting from it tend actually to be stuck in cycles of dependency um Whereas what I was seeing in the kind of very small scale fashion industry was that um, people could literally earn four or five times kind of national minimum wage, um, earn well, earn comfortably because, you know, they were operating the market in a way that suited them. Um, So that made me really curious about using business as a tool to... um, help to create kind of stable jobs and as a result aid I think um and then Sancho's really came from um the necessity to kind of find a customer for those products I guess so mm-hmm. start with a few like products from Ethiopia and then suddenly it's clear that like those products exist around the world um and then it's clear that as an industry it can either be like really exploitative or it can be really um virtuous and it can create like really great jobs and safe jobs as well as um being more environmentally sound as well so yeah it's kind of you know iterative organic um adaptation to kind of changing opportunities and you know just growing up as well (laughs) I I began Sancho's I think when I was like 19 or 20 so um you know it's just that kind of that growing into um opportunity Yes, definitely. So it started as a pop-up shop? Yeah, exactly. So um, we had a pop-up shop and then um, and then a small shop and now a bigger shop. And actually, do we do most of our business online at the moment, um, mm-hmm. as I'm sure, you know, tons of bricks and mortar stores do. Right. Yeah, definitely. And most of your um, customers are based in the UK. Yes. Yeah. But I don't know if you know much about kind of UK politics. Um, a little bit. But <laughs> Inform me. It's basically all just drive you crazy. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> um, so we, we voted for Brexit. Um, right. Four years, five years ago, six years mm-hmm. ago now. Um, we left, I think, last year. And that's really shrunk our market to just the UK. So going forward, mm-hmm. what we hope to do is create... Um, uh, like small kind of almost subsidiaries in other um, countries because yeah we used to have a really thriving kind of EU market um, which yeah. is more challenging now yeah that's kind of a political right. um, impact of yeah our business. Yeah I see that's unfortunate but hopefully you know you can kind of branch out and start some locations in other places that'd be great. Yeah exactly yeah there's always a way around it. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that when you first started, you um, worked with makers in Ethiopia. Is that something that you still do? No, it's not something we do um, for a couple of reasons. When we Mm -hmm. first started, we were trying to be 
like fully vertical in our business model. So um, we were training weavers, wow. buying all of the equipment for uh, the production of scarves, um, training individuals, like largely um, like uh, widows, so women who had children and lost their husbands. Um, and then we were designing, um, exporting, importing, kind of retailing those items. Um, and I think we just bit off a bit more than we could chew at that time. Um, so the project lasted about three years. Um, wow. Yeah, we kind of raised our weavers' incomes like four or five times. Um, um, and then we actually uh, passed on that kind of side of the business to um to like independent sellers within Ethiopia and then we began actually just simply importing finished goods um so yeah I would just say like my experience now looking back now with more business experience more resources and kind of just more time it's something that I would love to go and try again um but at the time it became a bit too challenging and we had to put a pause on that kind of production and training side about business right right yeah I can imagine that that would be a lot to manage but it sounds really cool and really you know helpful for the creators you know yeah for sure. I mean one of the reasons we stopped doing it is because we found um companies who were set up in the same way as us like companies like Sabaha um in Ethiopia who were producing incredible incredible quality items in a completely fair trade sound like ethical moral way um, and rather than kind of compete with them, we mm-hmm. wanted to be their customers, you know, do the part of the vertical that they would find challenging, which is the importing and selling on the other end. So we didn't stop it because we thought it was not um, not a valuable thing to do. But sometimes with sustainability, people just overlap the options. And so, you know, you know somebody will create a brand selling um, kind of recycled material jewelry for example and somebody else will see that and try to do the same thing again and mm-hmm. we all just kind of overlap and of course there's a necessity for um kind of uh you know options in this space like for right. consumers and for um like markets but sometimes there are also opportunities for simply for collaboration and that seems like a really great opportunity for collaboration yes that makes total sense so now you're mainly importing um, products and goods yes. from other brands. So how do you select brands to work with? Um, so we've got like a criteria. So the first mm-hmm. is the material should be uh, natural and organic or it should be recycled. Um, we try to recycled products can contain things like recycled wools, recycled cottons or recycled polyester. If the recycled material is organic, um, you know, we think that's really great and exciting. It makes it easier to regenerate again at the end of its lifespan. If it's inorganic, we look for products that are, aren't are washed at frequency um, or are kind of intended to be kept, if that makes sense. Um, and then from our natural materials, we're looking for organic, um, organically grown. So that's like rain-fed irrigation, um, you know, no use of uh, like uh, pesticides or herbicides. Um, you know kind of natural like non-intensive farming Um, and so once that material can be kind of uh, verified and guaranteed then we will look for a fair trade production so that is um, like fair wages but really more than 
the number of the wage, it's more about the ability of the garment worker to um, bargain, so their ability to unionise, maternity leave, you know, time off, like things like that, because people who have the ability to bargain can negotiate better conditions for themselves, mm-hmm. and people who don't have the ability to bargain um, are, you know, more readily exploited. So that's our kind of key sourcing criteria. And then when it comes to the actual product, we're looking for things that... Um, really help people like be at ease with their fashion sense and their taste so that um you know they're not like temp not tempted but they're not encouraged to kind of chase trends or mm-hmm. um kind of not really feel like their best selves in, in garments and so we really look for things that are designed to suit like changing bodies for example because everybody's body changes <laughs> Um, to suit versatility, to suit like capsule pieces and things like that. So that's kind of how we how we source items, and we end up building very like long term and like loyal relationship with our brands because once you find somebody who does all of those things, it's like really hard to find. It's, it's basically we don't have much choice. Like if you look at um, whenever we go like buying, so if we go to a trade show or um, you know a showroom or something like that. Um, most of the time we walk away with kind of less than like 5% of the actual attendees there because it's actually very hard to do all of those things. I mean, in addition to those things, we also set up a budget for size inclusivity and um, from buying from black and like POC owned brands as well. Yes. Basically, we just try to think about, you know, this is our procurement budget. This is how we decide we're reinvesting into the supply chain or into our fellow businesses and then we try to do that in a way that creates you know more virtuous cycles um but all of that being said our system isn't perfect and I think um it was kind of designed in 2015 and I think the industry has moved on so much since then um mm-hmm. so things like made to order um or circularity and there's so much you know recycled kind of polyesters for example are very you know arguably not suitable for um, fashion um now um but then it's really interesting because um more and more research is finding that other kind of organic materials can create micro fibers which cause you know almost identical challenges within the kind of uh food cycle um But yeah, so basically what I'm trying to say is like, it's not a perfect model. And actually the most important thing is like an ability to be flexible to the changing information. Because if you commit really tightly to a business model um, and it turns out like your information was incomplete and actually the business model causes harm in ABCD ways, it's really hard to kind of navigate against that. And instead what you end up doing is kind of defending what you chose. Um, Mm -hmm. So what we really try to do is have an adaptability to um, our kind of um, our choices. Right. So what are some things that you've seen change? I mean, I guess you kind of mentioned the made to order um, method and something else. But what what have you seen like change since 2015? And what are you like looking to to change to keep up with those to keep up with that? Yeah, so um, I've you know, discussed kind of recycled plastic as an example. Right. 
Um, mm-hmm. The thing with natural fibres, so like cottons, linens, hemps, is they, they're very stiff, like the fibre is stiff and therefore yeah. it can be quite brittle. Um, so when it comes to making clothes that have longevity, um, you, you're narrowed down in what you can do with an item. And if you blend that material with a elastane or with a um, polyester or an acrylic, then the kind of longevity of that item is extended. Um, mm-hmm. And in addition, if you find recycled materials and produce new items with those products, like polyester is, you know, an incredible material to work with if the product's designed as thoughtfully planned and if the kind of the end life of that item is thoughtfully planned as well. Um, I think in terms of how we're navigating that, I think that there are like multiple things that we've done. Um, one thing is we've we've looked at sourcing active wear that is made with natural fibres that have some of the uh, uh, kind of um, properties of the synthetic fibres, so things like bamboo or tensils or modules. Um, and so, for example, we have a kind of an underwear line made from bamboo um, that also doubles as a swimwear line. Um, mm. And so it adds like that product versatility, but also... Um, gives kind of an alternative to synthetic materials for swimwear um and that's kind of been how we're working through it I think we've also um produced things like um you know wash wash bags um that help people kind of reduce the amount of microplastics that go into the water stream from their washing cycles um and we've also discontinued products that we thought were recycled but not really like didn't have longevity so mm. anything that um was recycled without kind of a guarantee that it can be worn for multiple years you know um right. but just to hone back on that like I'm such a critical person I'm really critical of you know my problem is like so I've studied ethics as a kind of a philosophy student and so you know obviously you can't make any um grand statements or ultimates because it's just it's very hard to say something is exactly right because it's obviously right. all just a matter of like perspective values like information so even as I'm speaking to you now I'm like goodness me like it's not enough um yeah so yeah it's challenging basically yeah I mean I can imagine but it sounds like you're really trying to do the right thing and work with brands and fabrics and that you know that are gonna be good for a long time Special thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Etique. With it being Plastic Free July, you may be thinking of ways to cut back on plastic in your daily routine. One great sustainable swap to make is switching to solid shampoo, conditioner, and beauty bars. For months, I've been using Etique's Professor Curl and Curlosity shampoo and conditioner bars that are specially made for curly hair like mine. Now they have concentrates that can easily make plastic-free liquid shampoo and conditioner for those of us who can't be bothered with traditional bars. Etique is more than just plastic-free, with all of their products being sustainably sourced, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-positive. Their entire mission is to regenerate the planet through products, packaging, and practices that give back much more than they ever take away. To learn more, visit etique.com. That's E-T-H-I-Q-U-E.com. Thanks for sponsoring this episode.
Now, I'm interested in what your opinion is on recycled plastic clothing, you know, clothing made from recycled plastic, because, you know, I've seen some active wear that says, you know, it's made from recycled plastic. And to me, it's nice that they're recycling this plastic. But, you know, when it comes to microplastics entering the water streams and stuff, it doesn't seem great in the long run. So what's your opinion on that? I think my opinion is that um, so the goal of like recycling plastic is to extend its use. Um, so if if activewear and also I think activewear is a good use case because if made well and fits well, it's not something that you're going to get a single use out of, and potentially it's something that you're going to get you know hundreds of uses out of. Hopefully, mm-hmm. um, if if instead that plastic was going to be recycled into um you know plastic water bottle or downcycled into like um carpets or insulation I think that would be kind of suboptimal to it being a garment I think obviously the issue of microplastics is huge but you can reduce the amount of microplastics that go out of your wash stream by almost 90 percent if you have a little um like filter um, mm-hmm. So either you can put things in a wash bag or you can add a filter to your, um, I'm talking about um, machine washing right. in this case. Um, but because that impact is so huge, you know, I think the question that's raised is why aren't um, machines designed with that filter in place? You know, why, why should people yeah. have to make that choice themselves? Um, I think also... Um, Sorry, I just I wanted to say one thing, but I think I what yeah, I had something else on the top of my mind. Basically, I don't think it's clear cut. I think if you're really confident that you can use non-synthetic materials to get everything you need from activewear, then that's what you should do. Um, but if you are an active person, want activewear, and also want activewear that has like good longevity, I think recycled. Um polyester is good but it's never about one thing right it's like so Mm -hmm. what you see now is a lot of fast fashion companies putting recycled polyester into garments that are um kind of multi-fabric and um garments that aren't designed for long-term wear so it might be you know a trend-led piece like a trend-led dress or pair of trousers whatever um, without the kind of design around it to make sure that product will last or at least retain its value, um, but claim it's ethical because it has recycled polyester. And recycled polyester lends itself really well to that because it's kind of one of the cheapest ways you can begin to improve, um, you know, a business model. Um, so I think it's used a lot for greenwashing, um, particularly mm. by fast fashion, and it's not always the right material Um and if people are just listening to this wondering about, I mean, when is it the right material? I think when it's used to make something that will last significantly longer than um, its original design, so whether it's a water bottle or, um, you know, ship uh, fishing nets, um, if the if the item being produced will last longer um, and if it's made well and designed well and not hugely trend-led, I think it's probably better. But that company would also have to be um, financially you know equitable so paying workers fairly it would also have to use um you know fair and sustainable business practices right okay that makes sense thanks for breaking that down 
Um, and so one thing that I really love about Sancho's is that um, I was watching one of your videos and you said that you offer a, like, is it a return or replace policy? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, ever since we kind of set up, we didn't, we didn't ever want to sell products to people that kind of weren't fit for use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that people felt confident that if they were buying something for a bit more from us, they could at least guarantee that they could use it for a yeah. period of time. Um, so we set up this return and replace policy. So it's a, you know, it's a, a one year kind of guarantee. Um, and if people um, have any damages of any sort, they can um, return it to us and we will do our best to either repair it, uh, replace it or refund it for them. Um, because we think our business model shouldn't be reliant on them throwing things away, basically. We think our business model should sustain, should be able to withstand, um, you know, not putting the onus of managing sh- terrible products on the consumer. Um, and that's how we do that. And But actually, practically, what happens is we when we... When we source products, they're made to a quality that means they're not going to get, you know, they're not going to quickly tear in between the legs or threads aren't going to quickly pull or they're not going to like develop holes after a couple of washes. And so they tend to be better products. So it's actually a very, we we facilitate that service, not after point of sale, but actually in, in how we source products to begin with. Right. Yeah. Having better quality uh, clothing definitely helps with the longevity longevity of it, you know, because like when you buy something from H&M, you wash it twice and it shrinks, it stretches and it's just like, yeah. but <laughs> with better quality things that, you know, just obviously last longer. Exactly. And also it's like, as you know, the reason H&M or, you know, a brand like that will do that yeah. is because the customer is going to deal with the cost of that wasted item. So the customer is mm-hmm. going to have to deal with the cost of replacing it or the customer is going to have to deal with the cost of recycling it um, or, you know, repairing it. And I think that mm-hmm. that means that kind of, it's just passing on of the kind of responsibility allows them to kind of get away with that item. Um, yeah. So we, we do this for a year because, you know, we're relatively small and we have a very wide range of products as a kind of a marketplace of brands. Um, there's some really great brands that offer it in a, you know, an ongoing way across an item's um, lifespan as well. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you also have the, what is it? Schwab? Where it kind of encourages yep. circularity and you help, um, you know, people sell their old items. Yes. So um, we're rebranding Schwab to Oni, actually. Um, oh, okay. Rebrand has kind of gone live this month. Um, so it'll be Oni. Um, okay. What what Oni is, is a kind of an AI-powered digital catalogue of everything you own. Um, and our kind of goal is to give people all of the information they need about what they own so that if they want to resell that item, they can get the best price for it. Um, if they want to repair that item, they can do so in like as easy frictionless way they can. And if they want to recycle that item, they can send it to the place in the world where that item is going to be recycled most efficiently so that waste isn't needlessly created. Um, and we do that wow. by partnering with with retailers um, because those are the people who have all of that information, right? So, you know, whether it's Amazon or Sancho's, um, 
H&M or like People Tree or Girlfriend, like the, the, the most information about products is actually held by the brand. Um, and then as soon as that item is sold, the kind of the information isn't passed on to the um, buyer and right. the buyer is left with having to kind of um, use their own knowledge to to get the most of that item. What that tends to result in is kind of a lot of, um, what do you call it, like a lot of onus of responsibilities put on the consumer. So, you know, they have to be the ones to take perfect images to resell it or they have to be the ones to carry it and take it to a recycling centre. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only like have that responsibility but also they, they don't really know what's happening there's no transparency you know you know in the UK at least um recycling charity shops and recycling centers either burn or export 80 percent of what they receive mm-hmm. um and so people think oh you know I'm doing a great thing by taking this item there and it's just literally it's just a, you know it's just waste um you know one step away it's thrown away one step after they deliver it so um we're trying to improve the the services and also transparency of what happens to products after their purchase um yeah so we're really excited about it we i just um so we launched last summer our kind of mvp or our our beta platform um we've onboarded nine brands now um and we have uh, about six thousand users like using it as a platform to resell their products at the moment yeah I mean, we're just about to close on our fundraising, so we'll have a nice bit of uh, kind of what's called pre-seed capital um, to develop it a bit further and then take it to some bigger retailers. Wow. So is that something that I could just sign up for? And how do you you take inventory of your closet? So we have like little bots that do that for you. Okay. Um, so right now, basically, when you sign up, um, our bots will search everything in our catalogue, and our catalogue is huge, um, and it will create your a reflection of what you own for you, basically, with what you know about you, with what we mm-hmm. know about you. Um, by the end of this year, you'll be able to kind of scan any items, so like a barcode or a photo or a receipt, mm-hmm. and that will also create that you know catalogue listing for you in your digital wardrobe. Um, yeah, so we've got... We've got various kind of array of um, kind of automated tools um, to make it just as easy as possible uh, for people. Yeah. Wow. That's and yes, awesome. you can just sign up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's that's... Dot app. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing. And you know, it's so important to, like you said, make make the fashion industry like more circular because. You know, it's so easy to take your stuff to Goodwill and, you know, just drop it off. But it's like, you know, they may not, like you said, just burn it or send it to a developing country for them to deal with. And, you know, that's not what we want. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, the last thing we want to do is to pass on our waste to countries in the global south, you know, pollute their environment, um, you know reduce the impact of their internal industries like it's so unjust and so unfair particularly because like you know it's it's this kind of trend-led buying of fast fashion that leads to that you know people buy items um thinking or you know I'm not going to use this very long but it's okay it's going to be it's going to raise money for charity it's just it's awful Mm -hmm. um but more than that like you know in the end 
waste is created by the kind of the original seller of that item like whatever piece of trash there is in landfill anywhere there was somebody sometime who made a bit of profit on that item mm-hmm. um it's not like accidental it's, it's the result of kind of business practices right um and so we need to start understanding and start mapping how more more accurately like what organization creates what waste and it's through that that we can kind of begin to assign like accurate responsibility um and you know that responsibility will kind of result in a change of approach as well yes absolutely that's amazing i'm so excited for you and sancho's and oni and just seeing how everything grows Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so um, much for having me. I, I love yeah. the platform. And yeah, I think it's really great to make a space for um, you know black and brown people to um, really speak and exist within the sustainability kind of sphere and community. Um, so yes. thank you for having me here. Yes, thank you so much for coming. So um, our last question is, what does being a sustainable brown or black girl mean to you? Um. I think like, I think that, oh, um, it's just like, it's just who I am. <laughs> um, um, I think it's just very natural and very easy. Um, and everything I know about like my community, my family, back home, my culture is that like the general way of living is much more sustainable than kind of what we attain and aspire to do um, here. You know, I've got aunties and uncles um, in Ethiopia who um, refill everything they buy for their mm. kitchen because that's, you know, the only effective sourcing of foodstuffs for the industry. You know, people who won't ever throw away garments because there's always a different way to kind of repurpose it or reuse it. Um you know, people who travel less frequently, who certainly don't take flights, you know, maybe never in their lives, but definitely not, you know, two or three times as, you know, some people are accustomed to um, in the UK and the US. And I don't know if you know the stat, but like um, 16 Ethiopian kids consume mm-hmm. as much carbon as one American child. Wow, um, I didn't know that. No. And it's like, you know, we all think that um, everybody needs to change, everybody needs to live differently. But actually, there's a huge portion of our world who are living in a very sustainable way, and they tend to be uh, black or brown. And I think that understanding that, I think, means that, first of all, we can really map out how we need to live, like it becomes less of this kind of abstract Um, sense of what people need to do we can actually just follow a blueprint that's available for us whether that be like diet or travel or the amount of property you own or you know how you shop um and then second of all we can see actually that comes from you know a cohort of our society that has been kind of routinely disadvantaged routinely um kind of brutalized and attacked and disrespected um and actually speaks to why so we struggle so deeply to like challenge climate change, you know, because mm-hmm. we're so tied to a way of thinking and living um, that is, I think, built off white supremacy. Um, 
that we can't see, you know, there's a better way to do stuff. So yeah, no, I, I, I'm not like the most sustainable person in the world and by any means, there's yeah. a lot that I need. I think I did my carbon footprint, like I put all the information in recently yeah. and I still, you know, I use, um, to my shame, two and a half earths to, you know, in living <laughs> my life. And yeah. I, yeah, I'm deeply ashamed of that. I'm like deeply, um, curious as to how I change that as soon as possible um but I I know that a lot of what I can learn comes from the kind of the brown and black community um and yeah I'm just I'm glad to be who I am absolutely yeah I mean we can't be perfect at everything you know our carbon footprint is never going to be zero but you know just seeing that you're making a change in the way that you can and you're impacting a lot of lives and you know you're trying to reduce the impact that the fashion industry has on the planet like you're doing a lot so definitely take pride in that but you know of course there's always more we can do but you're you're doing awesome so thanks so much thank you very much <laughs> yeah so thanks again for joining us today Calcadan, and let everyone know where they can find sancho's shop how they can get on board with oni yep so um sancho's is at sanchoshop.com nice and easy um and then our kind of the socials are attached to that but if you type in sancho's shop you should find us on every social platform um only is at only.app.com um that's one so it's like a web app at the moment you can access it through your browser um and then we'll have an ios app out in april and please awesome. sign up to it there are very few like black women creating climate tech um there are some which are amazing like sojo um in the uk but yeah but yeah so Support me, please, <laughs> by, by downloading that app and interacting with it. That's what you call like um, supra minimal advertising. <laughs> you know, it's very, right. it's not subtle. Um, but yeah, essentially, download it or sign up. Um, yeah, we can't wait for everyone to be a part of our community. Yay, yay. So excited for you, Calc Dan. Thanks again for coming on, and we will definitely be following along with everything that you're up to. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Ariel. Thanks again to Atik for sponsoring this episode. Learn more on atik.com or click the link in the show notes. If you want to keep the conversation going, follow us at Sustainable Brown Girl on Instagram and Facebook. Check out the website at sustainablebrowngirl.com and send any questions, comments, or topic ideas to podcast at sustainablebrowngirl.com. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about your favorite episode. Donate to Patreon if you can, and be sure to watch the full video interview on YouTube. Until next time, let's continue to make better choices for the health of our bodies and the planet. Thanks for listening.